Amen. I'm continuing our series uh, that we've been doing in January, and now we're doing it in fe- February. We're doing it on Sundays. We're doing it on Wednesdays called Behold the Savior. And we've been recording this, so I'm posting these online. So if you've missed any part of it or any messages, they are available to go back and to listen to. My topic today, and the thing that I will be focusing on, is, is this Jesus, the storyteller. How about that? Back in December, when uh, we were having a meeting, uh, Tom Hughes had the, the teacher's ministry together. We were talking about this. They invited me to, to be a part of it and asked me to speak on one of the, the events. And everyone was going through and sort of picking out uh, you know, what they were going to speak on. Because there's so many things about Jesus, obviously, that you can focus on. But everyone was choosing different things. And at one point, uh, uh, Jeff Michelle chose uh, Jesus, the teacher. And which he, he did a couple weeks ago. In a couple weeks, we're going to have Toju. She's going to be doing Jesus, the great physician. And so I, I said in the group, I said, well, that's awesome because, uh, you know, they get to, you know, Jeff is a teacher and he's talking about Jesus, the teacher. Toju is a doctor. She's talking about Jesus, the great physician. I mean, that's awesome that they get to talk about the, the parts of Jesus that they're familiar with, that they're passionate about. I said, and I just said out loud, I said, I wish there was Jesus, the filmmaker. So I would love to talk about that because I, you know, one of my hobbies is uh, filmmaking. And, uh, I, uh, and, and without hesitation, somebody in the group, and I, I don't remember who it was, said, how about Jesus the storyteller? And I immediately was excited and afraid. I was excited because I thought, oh, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard in all my years of going to church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon called Jesus the Storyteller. But I was also immediately afraid because I thought, in all my years of going to church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon called Jesus the Storyteller. And I, it captivated my interest, but at the same time I thought, what, do I, what am I going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? So actually, they said, well, what do you think, Phil? Do you want to do that? And I said, let me think about it. So through the course of the meeting, you know, I kind of thought about it and prayed about that. You know what? I'm going to go for it. Let's do this. And so I decided... Uh, I'll do Jesus the Storyteller, having no idea what I was going to talk about or focus on. In fact, later, I was talking to another friend of mine. I told him that whole story. I've never heard a sermon called Jesus the Storyteller. And he goes, what do you mean? Of course you have. You've never heard a sermon on Jesus' parables? And I was like, well, yes, of course I've heard many sermons and lessons on Jesus' parables. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the stories of Jesus. This lesson is about Jesus himself being the storyteller. And that, I was like, well, what? What am I going to talk about? You know, storytelling, I love storytelling. My grandfather was a great storyteller, and I think that's maybe where I get it from. I love telling stories. My grandfather told stories all the time. Uh, As he got older, they were some of the same stories told over and over, but it was okay. I loved it, and I loved hearing it. And I've always just loved telling them and listening to stories, because what stories is, what, what, what storytelling is, is it's taking a large concept, a wide area of things, and, and just sort of sculpting it down to, and, and guiding people through something that's really big, and helping highlight parts of it that you want to highlight. You know, help, help guiding people or, or, or showing people specific parts of a bigger concept, and, 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 and bringing out certain specific parts of it. That's, that's what storytelling is. Let me uh, illustrate it to you this way. I'm going to illustrate it actually using a photo. 
This right here is a photo that was taken not long ago of me and my wife, Leslie. And uh, that's just a photo of us sitting there. And that photo tells, you know, that tells a story. Uh, you know, you may look at it and think of multiple different things. And if you didn't know us at all, and you just saw these two people, you might think something along the lines of this. Chunky, middle-aged guy <laughs> sitting with beautiful woman, right? Something maybe in that realm. At least that's what I thought when I saw it. And then I thought, well, I want to post this, but I'm not posting that story to Instagram. So through the magic of what we call cropping, yeah. took the same exact photo, didn't change that, I didn't change, it's the same photo, but I decided to highlight specific things of it and not other things of it, you know what I'm saying? So now the story is just simply middle-aged man with a beautiful woman. And that was okay for me to go ahead and post on social media. But that's what storytelling is. That's a graphic rec uh, representation of what people do with their words. They take bigger ideas and through story they focus on specific parts of it. And they highlight specific things. Stories, good stories are very moving. You know, think about it. Think about a good book that you may have read. Or think about a good movie that you've seen. Or that true crime podcast that you're listening to, right? I mean, good stories are moving. There's an organization out there, maybe you've heard of it, I think it's, it's definitely national, maybe even international now at this point, called The Moth. Maybe you're familiar with it. The whole point of the moth is people come together in live scenarios and they tell stories. And the idea is that there's a theme, you know, a theme for the, the event. And people voluntarily come in and they'll tell like a five minute story. That's the limit. And they can't use any notes whatsoever. It's got to be a true story. And so there's a collection of these. So it's really just a celebration of story. And they, these events they call story slams. Maybe you've heard of that. They had one in Brooklyn a couple years ago, so I decided I wanted to go. And I decided that I wanted to go and not just sit and listen, but I thought, I'm going to put myself out there to tell a story. Because I speak publicly, you know, for a living. But generally speaking, the audience that I speak to is very friendly, right? Generally, right? There's that one brother, and you know who you are, bro. And, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's me trying to be funny, but not really. You know, so I generally, I thought, well, let me push myself a little bit. And let me try to put myself out there in front of a crowd I don't know, that doesn't know me. It doesn't kind of give me the benefit of the doubt. So we went uh, to uh, this summer, this story slam in Brooklyn. Uh, my friend John Markowski went with me. I said, John, will you please go because I'm really nervous. And the way it works is hundreds of people. There's probably 300 people there. And if you want, they tell you the theme, you know, before you get there. And if you want, the theme for this one was beauty. Very general, very big. And they said, if you want, you come up to the stage and they literally just have a person with a bag, a little, little paper bag, and you write your name on a piece of paper and you stick it in. And they, they say, we're going to pick 10 and you're going to get five minutes and you can tell your story. And so I rehearsed the story. I thought I picked a, a true story. It's got to be true. I rehearsed it. I thought about it and uh, planned it all out, got it to five minutes. And then we went. And I went up to the stage. I said, I'd like to put my name in. I wrote my name and put it in there. And the moment that I put it in there and walked away, I immediately regretted it. Immediately, I'm like, what am I doing? I was terrified. 
I was so nervous. And they told me, they said, well, there's 21 names in here. We're picking 10. So this is a 50-50 shot that you're going to get picked. And so I don't know. I think it was the Lord. I did not get picked. I was like, thank you. But, I, you know, John and I sat in the back of this crowd and listened. To it, and every time, every so they're like, all right, let's pick another one. And I was like, oh, God, please. No, 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 no. <laughs> thank you. But that's because, I mean, there's a celebration of story because stories, good stories are so moving. Good stories are memorable, aren't they? You know, I tell stories a lot when I'm pre... I've told you like 10 stories already and we've barely gotten started here, right? I tell stories a lot and oftentimes through the years of me preaching, people have come up to me and says, oh, Phil, man, I heard you that one time. I remember that story you told. You know, remember that story about the cat? Remember that one? Ah, oh, I love that story. You know, they remember my story. They don't ever remember what the point was. <laughs> so maybe that's where I have to, you know, grow a little bit. But, but that's just because good stories are memorable. Jesus told stories. Why did Jesus tell stories? Well, Jesus told us stories to help us understand God. This giant concept that is God. This giant idea that would just blow our minds. Jesus used stories to help us understand God. Here's a great scripture, Matthew 13. This is Jesus was talking to a specific group of people. And it says there in verse 34, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables or stories. Parables are stories with a point. So Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in stories. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things hidden since the creation of the world. See, here is why Jesus used stories. He used stories to, to help us understand these amazing things that have been hidden since the beginning of the world, these epic things. He used stories to teach us. And Jesus was good at telling stories. In fact, Jesus, I would say, was a master storyteller. As I prepared for this class, I decided I was going to study out all of Jesus's words. I thought I got the Bible out with the red letters. I thought I'm just going to go to all the red letters. And then when I get to a story, I'm going to just focus on what story, what, what are the characteristics? I don't know. What can I learn from just looking at the stories that he told? And I was really amazed at what I began to see. What I began, what I thought is I would just get to a section where this is story time with Jesus, but it wasn't like that at all. Jesus infused story throughout everything he did. Like everything he did, everything was a story. And you're like, wait, is Jesus teaching here or is he telling a story? The answer is yes, yes. I mean, Jesus wove artistic words and imagery into his teachings. Sometimes they were, they were stories. Sometimes they were teaching. Sometimes it was both, but it was all sort of masterfully intertwined together to help us understand God. And I am not an expert on all of the specifics and the, the techniques of storytelling, but let me point out a few. Let me give you a little tour through Jesus's uh, tech use of, of story in order to help us. For example, Jesus told anecdotes. An anecdote is a short, interesting little true story about a real life event 
that, that people tell. Jesus did that. Here in this story, uh, Jesus and his disciples were being accused or being criticized for, for, for picking grains on a Sabbath in a grain field. And people are like, why are you doing that? And Jesus answered, Luke 6, verse 3, he said, have you never read the the story? Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And he goes on to tell a story about David in response to their question. He uses an anecdote to help us understand God. Jesus used metaphor. Metaphor is when you take two things, you take one thing and you compare it, you kind of connect it to another thing that's not really related, but it is related. It's a way of helping people understand the first thing by connecting it to something else. It's not at all meant to be literal, but it's just a way of helping us understand. For example, John chapter six, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That wasn't literal. He's not actually bread, but he was using, this is a metaphor where he's helping us understand what he offers us. In fact, in John chapter 6, if you read the whole story, they thought he was speaking literal, and they had a whole conflict that ensued because they didn't understand what he was trying to say. He said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He's not literally a light. When he said it, he was a human body, but this is a metaphor to help us understand these bigger concepts. Jesus said in John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Right? Again, not literal, but a metaphor to help us. See, in that passage, later goes on to say that you are the branches. Right? So he's using metaphor to help us understand God. He goes on, he uses simile. Simile is similar to metaphor, but metaphor is a little more implicit. You know, it's sort of implied. Simile is just explicit. It's just stated. For example, in Matthew 13, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Again, not meant to be taken literally, but he's saying this thing that's epic and big and huge is like this thing that you understand so that, and I'm telling you this so you can understand this bigger thing. That's what he's doing here. Another example, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. That's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Again, these are all similes where Jesus is helping us understanding epic concepts by using things that you and I would understand. Jesus used humor. He was actually kind of funny. He was actually kind of funny. This I love. Jesus is teaching people here not to be judgmental of other people. And he says, for in the same way you judge others you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? I, I mean, that's not, that's not Jerry Seinfeld, but you know, that's, that's pretty funny, right? I think it's funny. All right, maybe then. I mean, you're like, ah, oh, bro, you got that little tiny speck in your eye. Let me get that for you. You're like, excuse me, oh, boom. You know, I got this plank sticking out of your... Kind of funny. Right. Amen. He used irony. Jesus used irony. Here he's, he's, he's confronting people on their hypocrisy and he's confronting people on their legalism. And he says a very similar thing to what he just said before. He says, you blind guides. He says, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. 
I mean, that's kind of funny too, actually. You know, they, I mean, Jesus is like, you're eating dinner and you're like, oh man, there's a little tiny bug in my food. Oh, yep, yep, yep. hold on, hold on, let's stop. No, no, let's get, no, no, hey, hey, give me, give me, you know, give me. And you take all the time to take this little tiny thing out when, when you turn and what you're doing is you're actually eating an entire camel. Not literally, right? You know, but his point is you, you are legalistic and you're a hypocrite. But he's using irony to help us understand. Jesus even used sarcasm. What? Yeah, duh. No, I'm kidding. Um, that was sarcastic. Um, this is John chapter 10. I like this verse too. I, I don't know. I, I get a kick out of it. I think this stuff is cool. Jesus says, again, you know, he, he had been teaching and he'd been doing all these great things and people were critical of him to the point they were going to kill him. And he'd been doing all these great things and they're ready to kill him. And he says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? You know, I mean, <laughs> a little sarcastic, right? Like, I've been doing great things and you see them all. Which of these great things that I've done are you killing me for? You know, I mean, that's... Okay, all right, think about it. It'll... These are my classifications, but this is my, my point, is that God, as Jesus used these techniques to help us understand greater concepts. This one, he is great at, at building tension. This is the story of the prodigal son. Remember the story about the young man who went to his dad and said, give me all that you owe me. And, he, and the dad did. He took it and he went and squandered it and just terrible things came back, broken, ready. You know, I'm so sorry, dad. The dad not only welcomed him back, but had a party for him and everything was great. My son who was dead is now alive. Everything's awesome, except the older brother. Who, it says here in Luke 15, it says the older brother became angry when he saw the party and all the stuff going on. He says, so, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So here the young man, the older brother, instead of celebrating his brother's return, is upset. He's angry and he's upset with his father because his father was generous. But that's where the story ends. It's never resolved. The father says something to him afterwards, but there's no resolution. The story just ends. So the listener just goes, oh, oh, that's rough. Ooh. And you can't help but to feel a little bit of the tension that is there. It helps us learn the lessons that God, it, Jesus was teaching us. Jesus used rhetorical questions. He did this a lot. You know, he, here he's talking about the value of one person. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? That wasn't a real question. That was, of course he does. In fact, he goes on to say, yeah, he goes and he finds it. He brings it back. And then there's a celebration because you found the one sheep. This is a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously Yes. Of course you do. And Jesus is using rhetorical questions to help us understand our value. But again, these are the amazing, Jesus was a masterful storyteller. Jesus used visual aids. He used visual aids here. Uh, there was an argument about, you know, who's great uh, in the kingdom. And it says in Matthew 18, it says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So here he sees a child. He goes, let me, let me tell you what the kingdom is like. Let me tell you what you need to be like. Here. And he pulls a child up and says, this is the visual aid. Look at this. This is what we're supposed to be. Jesus appealed to our common sense. You know, he says there in Matthew chapter 6, he says, look at the birds of the air. Again, another visual aid. He goes, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Again, rhetorical question. Can, you, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Again, rhetorical, but also an appeal to just your common sense. And he's sitting, he's saying, listen, you are valuable. There is no point. There is no, no benefit to worry. That's what he's saying here. But he's using these teaching, these storytelling techniques to help us understand. Jesus used hyperbole. Hyperbole, of course, as you know, is when you say something, but you say it sort of in an extreme way, to make a point. You're not literally meaning what you're exactly what you're saying. You're, you're trying to make a point by saying something very extreme. Jesus did this multiple times. One area he did this was in Luke chapter 14. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Does Jesus mean that literally? No, we know that because it would then go against every other thing that he taught. Jesus didn't mean that you need to have bitter animosity towards your parents or your spouse in order to love him. No, that's not what he's saying. What he, and I've heard people debate this. Well, the Greek means this and that. Listen, what he's saying is God must be first. Above all the important relationships in your life, above everything that you hold dear, and it's okay that you hold them dear, but he supersedes all of it. And so he's using hyperbole to get that across, to help us understand. This is his master storytelling. He even used foreshadowing, didn't he? This is uh, after he had gone in and cleared the temple, you know, drove out all the moneylenders in there like, dude, you know, well, they say, they don't say, dude, that's, uh, that's what I added. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. And then it goes on to say what he meant by that. What he, and they're like, you're going to destroy the temple. It took us a long time to build. What, what are you talking about? But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple that they were at. He was referring to himself. He was talking about how he was soon to die on the cross, be buried and raised again. That would be his proof that he had authority to do. And it was. He was foreshadowing what was going to happen. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. And I, I mean, these are just a few of them, but Jesus was so amazing. So let me, let me give you two quick practicals to walk away with. All right, two quick things for you to go. All right, what can I do? What's something tangible? In the spirit of Jesus, making things very tangible for us, let me give you some tangible things. First of all, one, look and listen. Okay, it's two, but that's really one. One, one point, look and listen. Jesus said this over and over and over. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That is not, you know, a head count for who has ears. You know, that is a call to listen, to really listen. 
Not just hear the, the, you know, not just the storyteller, but to hear the meaning behind the story that he's trying to tell us. We got to be students of Jesus. We've got to be seekers of Jesus. We've got to read his words and ask ourselves, what is he saying? Not what do I want to get out of this, but what does he actually say? I said that earlier when I had the illustration of the photo, remember, that I sculpted the photo to say what I wanted it to say. Well, Jesus did the same thing with his words. He sculpted his words to say what he wanted to say. So we have to ask when we're reading, what is he trying to say? Sometimes we do this on purpose. Sometimes we do this subconsciously. But we get an idea in our mind of what we think is right. And then we go look for scriptures to back it up. Yeah, I know this is true. Let me go find something that just sort of, you know, will back me up. That's not the proper way to do it. The proper way is to go in and say, all right, what are you saying, Jesus? For example, the parable of the sower, that's not like tips on agriculture. What is he saying there? He's talking about the different types of hearts. And certainly it's a call for us to have the, the good soiled heart. But we've got to look and we've got to seek. And this is not just something that we do once. You know, like, yeah, I did that. Back when I became a Christian, then I got baptized. I was seeking. <laughs> no, no, this is a lifestyle. This is something that you do your entire life, looking and seeking God. There's a great verse in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Wow, that's amazing. God sculpted your life to be exactly where you are, when you are right now. Why did he do it? It says God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And the best part of this verse is, though he is not far from any of us. You may feel like he's far. You may feel it, but he's not. He's there. You just got to look and you got to listen. And then you need to show and tell. Look and listen, show and tell. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said he was the light of the world, but then he also said, you are the light of the world. And that's what happens when we follow Jesus, when we look and listen, all of a sudden his story becomes our story. His love is sculpted into our hearts and our lives. So now you have a story. I love listening to Russ Sr. share his story. And he hit it right on the nose. He'd heard this story, but he said he never made it personal. Well, that's what we're talking about. Let it become personal. Let these words marinate in your heart. And what happens when you do that, then you have a story. You have something to share. You have something to tell. Because God works in your life. And there's power in your story. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers, which is the devil, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. And then it says, They, meaning us, the Christians, we, they've triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. 
There's power in your changed life. I appreciate Mackie standing up here and talking about her changed life. And how, God, I mean, that's powerful. I didn't know that story. That was amazing to, to listen and hear. You've got that story. And you need to show and tell. Not just tell, but show. You know, this isn't just about you, you know, talking a good game. It's about you living a good game, too. Letting people see your light, not just in your words, but in your actions as well. Look and listen, show and tell. I'm going to close out this lesson with a short four-minute video. Let me show this to you, and then I'll say a few words. Before we can talk about equity versus equality, I want to first define diversity. At Inclusive Communities, we like to say diversity in its simplest definition means differences. We all have differences, from our glasses to our weight to how much money we have. That is diversity, and no matter how much people say it's hard to find diversity, that's not true. Diversity exists. It's about taking the time to acknowledge its existence and work to ensure action is taken to embrace these differences, not alienate them. Equality is often equated to fairness and sameness and is based in the misconception that we all have the same needs and the same solution will work for everyone. Equity is based in access and opportunity with the understanding that we each start with different advantages and disadvantages and thus have different needs to attain access and opportunity. To understand equity, we have to compare it to equality. Now, I love this equity versus equality graphic as it's the best explanation of the difference between the two. On the equality side, you see that we've got three individuals, our tall guy, our short girl, and our friend in the wheelchair. And you see that they're all trying to watch this baseball game, but there's this fence. With equality, they've each been given a box to use to be able to see the game. But obviously that's not working because our tall friend is now super tall and sees very clearly over the fence while our short girl can just barely see and she's still kind of on her tiptoes and struggling to see the game while the person in the wheelchair can't see it all and they can't even get on the box. On the equity side of this picture you can see that now we've given each individual exactly what they need to be able to see the game. The person in the wheelchair has a ramp so they can clearly get to the top and see the full game. The shorter girl has two boxes, which is what she needed to comfortably be able to see, and the tall person has no boxes at all because they didn't need the extra assistance in the first place. Equity is a process, which means it is continuous. We can't gain equity by changing just one thing. For example, the equity side of this photo shows our friend in the wheelchair has gained equity at this fence, but the work is not done. True progressive equity is about how can we ensure that he has equitable opportunities at all of the hypothetical and real fences in his life. Equity requires power, resources, and social responsibility to work hand in hand to change the structures and provide opportunities to those who were institutionally left out marginalized or oppressed. Equity is hard, but it's essential for us to make change in the lives of those who have been historically depicted as less than. From individuals with disabilities like physical, developmental, and mental, to people living in poverty without access to food or education or healthcare, it's important for us to understand that there is a long history of discrimination which has created the present day inequities which don't allow these individuals the same access to opportunity than those who don't have those differences. 
One of the greatest gifts that we give to students that we work with is the opportunity to share their story and to find value in their voice. And this increases awareness and a sense of empowerment. Everyone has their own stuff. Everyone is going through something that challenges their emotional and physical capacity to be great, but there is power in connection. So now here's your challenge. Be brave and seek out those opportunities to have authentic conversations with those that are different than you. Find out what makes them unique and what brings them joy. Then you do the same. Share your story, because you have value as well. Now you've built community. And with community, we have power. We is always stronger than me. Um, I have no idea who that woman is. Um, I have no idea what that organization is. But I watched that video because someone sent that to me. And I watched it, it was Rhonda Clark. She sent it to me and, and Ted and, and I watched it and I thought, wow, that is amazing. It's amazingly well done and well said. And then the more I thought about it, I thought I'm gonna include that in my lesson today. And here's why, two reasons that I included that just now. One, it's just good for us to be reminded of this. It's good for us. We've talked a lot today. A theme has been diversity throughout our service. Matt talked about it right at the beginning, about how God is glorified through our differences. And we are very different. I mean, physically, you just look around, we're very different. But not just physically, we're different emotionally, uh, socially, uh, culturally. I mean, we're very, very different people. And I love what Ted said about the answer to that is love is we love each other. So how do we handle diversity? How do we treat it? What do we, we love each other. You know, I wear glasses. I don't have them on right now because I have contacts in, but at home I have a pair of glasses that I wear. Without them, I can't see anything. And I have a different prescription in each eye because my right eye is a little stronger than my left eye. You know what I don't do? I don't say to my left eye, hey bro, just tough it out, man. Just wear what everybody's wearing and just, just work it out. No, what I've done is I've spent the money, I've spent the time, I've spent the effort to make glasses that are customized for each of my eyes. If that is how I treat my body, is that not how we should treat the body of Christ? Am I right? Amen. And so, so equity is important. It takes time and it takes effort. This is why we have squad. This is why we have our health empowerment group. This is why we have our mental health coaching ministry. This is why we have our kids kingdom. This is why, uh, this is why we have uh, our, our African missions association or our Caribbean um, missions association. This is why we do the cultural corner. This is why we sit down and do individual Bible studies with whoever wants to do it. It's because we are trying to put the effort in, not just giving blanket religious answers, well, God loves you and it all work out, but really sitting with people and helping sculpting things to meet their specific needs. That is what we are called to do. So that's one reason why I showed this, because I just want to remind us of that. But the other reason, and the real reason I showed this, is because this is exactly what I'm talking about today. This is exactly what Jesus did for us through storytelling. Jesus brought us spiritual equity through his stories. Think about it. If God had just said, all right, I'm going to rip open the heavens. Here I am. Deal with me. And it would kill us. I mean, we have the story of Moses who got to see a tiny bit of Jesus, of God, just the back of God, and it just about killed the man. I mean, he glowed for days after it. 
But that is not how God did it. Instead, God sent his son and his son as a human, crafting his words, taking the time for years, saying things and, and, and relating these massive concepts into things we could understand that, that would resonate with you and resonate with me. Man, that is spiritual equity. It was done for us. It's why we even remotely understand how great God is because of Jesus and his stories. And that's how we should treat each other. Jesus brought spiritual equity to us through his stories. Jesus was amazing. Jesus is amazing. He used his words to teach us God's character and he customized God's gracious message of love for each of our individual lives through the simple yet brilliant act of telling stories. Behold the Savior, Jesus the Storyteller. Thank you. Thank you.